Welcome to United Against Silence. I'm Seema Reza, the CEO of Community Building Artworks, a nonprofit organization that connects veterans, healthcare workers, and civilians through workshops led by the artists of our time. Each week, we interview an artist to find out about their process and how they've overcome silence in their lives. Rachel Heath is a poet, artist, teacher, yoga and meditation instructor, podcaster, and digital nomad. She holds a BA in languages from Winthrop University and an MFA in poetry from the University of South Carolina. While she primarily writes poetry, she considers herself a storyteller. She uses her poetry and her podcast to tell the multifaceted stories of Black women in the world. She also explores her experiences with the culturally rich communities that she has encountered in her travels. Her work has been published by Travel Noir, The Brazen Collective, and Community Building Artworks. In our anthology, We Were Not Alone. She currently works as curriculum director, sanctuary coach, and facilitator for the Unicorn Authors Club. She also regularly facilitates workshops for BIPOC Writing Party and the World We Want workshops. Hi, how are you? I'm so, so happy to talk to you. Um, I feel like we've been, like, we've crossed each other in a lot of places, and I've admired your work, um, but I haven't actually gotten to to talk to you, to get to know you one-on-one, so I'm really excited um, for this opportunity. And um, so thanks for being here and thanks for agreeing to be part of the United Against Silence Collective and teach for us. Yeah, I'm excited. I I feel the same way. It's like, I absolutely love your workshop. I see you being like amazing in the world. And I'm like, this is a human I want to know more about. (laughs) Oh, I love, I love mutual admiration um, (laughs) communities. And you know, community is a big part of what you do in all kinds of intersectional ways in, um, through all of your various kinds of teaching. And I think a lot about all of the ways that your work, um, as a, as a healer, as, as a, you know, wellness provider requires that you hold other people's grief and um you know and I was thinking earlier today about how that work feels like the very top of your ability right when I'm doing that work I feel like I'm at the very very top of my ability like I have to be 100% not myself outside of myself to hold contain for not not myself but like put myself aside for the for the room right for the sake of the room yeah um and then I have to do other work to get back into myself. And I wondered what your, your practice of that, that movement from centering other to returning to self, like how you navigate that. Yeah, so I think I'm <laughs> kind of um, like well-equipped to do this kind of work because I'm very much an introvert. So I'm always managing my energy around people no matter what the situation is. Um, I think people meet me and they think I'm incredibly social and like very much a people person because I can be very friendly. But in general, I'm very much like introvert (laughs) and I like my (laughs) me space. So I am very, I think as I age even better at like setting boundaries and being really clear with people that I'm working with or that I'm in community with that I love you, but I need my space and it's not personal 
And I think it's also like making sure that the people in your life honor who you are. So not making assumptions or projecting who they want you to be, but saying, no, Ray needs her space. Um, and so that's taken a while to build, but I feel like it really is just, just being honest. I think a lot of times we want to project what people want to see in us. And so we can often take on things that we're not equipped or energized or prepared to manage. And I'm trying not to do that. <laughs> I mean, and we're socialized so often, right? Against that, um, against that impulse. I don't, I don't, I don't know what your like home of origin or childhood of or home was like, but I certainly was not like that wasn't you know, like I wasn't taught to recognize like what I need. Right. Um, Absolutely not. I'm from the South. Like I am a black woman from the deep South. I am from South Carolina and over anything else, you are really kind of brought up in this culture of obligation. So it's obligation to family. It's also as a black person, obligation to survival. Like you are meant to project yourself in the best way possible at all times because you know we, you, you hear people talk about talent intent and respectability and you know that's fraught but a lot of it is just genuine survival right. my parents grew up during the civil rights era in the deep south so that respectability was what kept them alive it wasn't a we're trying to be uppity it's we don't want to offend anyone and bring violence on us or anyone that we care about. So you don't wash that out of your system. You pass it on because you also want your children to thrive and their children to thrive. So you're, you're kind of riding this very fine balance of now we live in an era where in some ways there's more freedom to be able to say in a black body as a black person, I can't right now, but there's also still these expectations on black people that any moment you show a sign of weakness, you have proven <laughs> that you really aren't as capable as we thought you were. Um, right. Thanks for proving us right. Right. So it's, it's a lot of like internal work that has to be done to be able to live in that space of liberation of saying, I am going to assert my rest as much as I assert my abilities to continue to build um, and to not take on those kind of outside ideas about being lazy or being incapable because those are not a part of who we are. Those are things that are being projected onto us because racist, racism works, you know, racism perpetuates the capitalist machine. So how do we divest from that? And it takes a lot of work <laughs> and it's yes. great to be in supportive community, to be able to see that you can assert yourself in that way without having consequences. So, I mean, it's just kind of a variety of things that, that have to happen, but it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, yeah, that's so beautiful that, um, right. So you named the, the parts of it that are like epigenetically part of you right? The ways that that obligation to please, to be pleasing, to not inspire any kind of anger or, you know, um, how that comes from inside of you. And then of course, we know that we continue to live in a world 
to where connection is so omnipresent, right? Like people, your, your phone's going off and there's this sort of like, there's always people with an ask for you in a, I mean, like I have like four emails that are like in the back of my brain right now that I need to, you know, like, I think, I think we all have like a few of those happening. Um, but so much of the work that you, you teach and you do the spiritual work, the yoga, the meditation, which I've got like a million questions about your meditation practice um, and poetry require silence, right? Like require, um, require for you to, to put that boundary up to around your consciousness. Um, well, and how- I would even say like that word require that, that word so fiddly for me, like I'm, I'm in a space of invitation. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to put the invitation on the table and you can approach this invitation, however works for you in this moment. Um, because especially in yoga practice, like that word require is so like triggering for me because everybody's body is different and what your body requires is not what someone else's body requires. And to walk into a space and think that you can require someone's body to look like your body to me is oppressive and it's not a part of the practice, right? It's all right. an invitation to be present and you're, and you're right about the silence piece. It's an invitation to slow down, to bring the gaze in and to be present with your body and to move in a way that feels right in your body And it may kind of sort of look like what my body is doing, but it does not have to, and it very likely won't, but that's where the presence and the slowing down comes in because then whatever you are doing, you're doing from a space of intention. And so it's going to work for you. It doesn't have to work for me because we're not in the same body. Right. Right. Um, And I think, and thanks for saying that about the word require for me, I find that when I say my work requires X, right? Like silence, boundary, time. Um, I'm able, able then to make it an obligation to myself, which is the only, right? Like this is the, this, the socialization of, of oneself to be, um, to be ordering things, right? Like through motherhood and daughterhood and all of the ways, um, that we're pulled at to say, no, 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 I need this, this, these are the conditions within which I can um, exist most as myself or, or sit and listen to myself. Um, and I heard you in a conversation um, on your wonderful podcast, Black Women in Wellness. It's just like, it's, it's so many wonderful conversations um, talking about spirituality and, um, and the space that's required for spirituality. And I was thinking too about how in your writing place is almost always a part of what you're, you're, you know, what you're inviting into the, onto the page with as, as, as part of your biography. Um, and I just wondered if like there had been some moment when you realized that like, no, no, I need to, to carve the space for a new kind of spirituality for myself, like a call to it. Cause there's this sort of like, I don't know, we, we grew up and I don't know if you grew up in the nineties, I think we might be the, around the same age. Mm-hmm. And there's just like this sort of irreverence and like, um, 
And then realizing that, no, no, I need to give myself space to feel more. Absolutely. And I, and I think it's an evolution, you know, I think about who I am now and who I was 10 years ago and who I was 20 years ago. They're very different people. Right. But I I think the beauty in that is the ability to be able to evolve, to be able to continue inviting myself to move a little bit closer to what I, I want to project. Right. And, you know, talking about spaciousness and also talking about place, like, as I said, I'm a black woman from the South, which is complicated. It's beautiful. It's also very deep and and traumatic in a lot of ways. And, and I'm also nomadic now. So it's like, I carry my roots with me, which means that you tap in in different ways. And so maybe you're tapping in through food, maybe you're tapping in through language, maybe you're tapping in through, you know, kind of a mutual artistic threads. Nature is a wonderful way to tap in. It's universal. And so how do you take something that most people consider to be very static, this idea of origin, this idea of place, um, and how do you transition it into something that's more fluid? And it also takes me back to, you know, ancestral quote unquote roots as a, as a black person, I see myself as someone without a country of origin. I grew up in the United States, but if someone asked me where my ancestors are from, I don't have a place that I can pinpoint on a map. And sure, I could do a DNA test. And I know a lot of people have kind of become very connected to this idea of going back to the motherland, but I'm not from there either. So, you know, it's this kind of weird liminal space where it's trying to figure out what a space of origin looks like when so much has been removed. Um, And I think that's very much a similar story for many diasporic people. It's like, are you from the country where you were born? Are you from the country where your ancestors came from? Are you from the place where your ancestors kind of rooted down and tried to survive? Or are you from where you kind of feel the most closeness Mm -hmm. and proximity? Or can all those things be true at the same time and not true at all? And I feel like a lot of my writing kind of explores those questions. Um, And I don't necessarily feel like I have to have an answer to it. Um, It's important to me just to have the awareness and to continue the conversation. Yeah. Um, And your workshop is titled Meditation on Our Roots, um, which... Yeah, now I'm, I'm like doubly excited to explore that with you. Um, there's this idea too of like the difference between who you really are, right? Beyond all of the things that are that are put on you that like what it means to be a black woman from the South, right? Like there's a whole host of assumptions that come with that, right? So you say this and then people change how they see you and, you know, expect certain things from you, from you and, and, um, and about you, about your biography that may or may not be true. And when we do work like meditation, it's like sort of listening beneath that, like who's listening to my thoughts, right? That work. Um, And I think that's a lot of what poetry, when things are going going well when I'm allowing myself to sink into it, right? Which is not always, um, but when when there's work that astonishes me, 
right? When you're, you're sitting and you're writing and there's like, you write something that you're just like, I don't even know where that came from, whose voice that even is. Yeah. Um, that sort of like inner, inner self. What is there a relationship between meditation, that your practice of meditation and your writing practice? Yeah, I think for me, like meditation and writing practice and yoga and visual art and crafting and all of the things that I do are kind of those those entryways to the the higher self, right? It's where you get past all of those things that again are projected onto you. And you can kind of get into a flow space if you really allow yourself to shed those labels and connect with that source material. Um, and so if I'm feeling a bit stuck in my writing, I, I mean, I try to meditate regularly anyway, but I, I feel a bit stuck in my writing. One of the things that I might do is, you know, put on one of my favorite chants and sit in meditation and try and kind of shed what is heavy in order to open up space for what I want to bring forth. Um, but as I said, I think a lot of different things can be meditative. I think, you know, people find spaces of meditation in their gardens. They find spaces of meditation, listening to music. Intentionality is what brings the difference between this is a meditative practice and this is just something I'm doing that kind of check out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Intentionality is, is the whole difference, right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and did you, did you discover this sort of like higher self as a child at all? I think we're constantly discovering it though. You know what I mean? Right. right. And I think I mean, that, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I, 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 I've been thinking about um, religious experiences as, as children, right? And like, there were a few, like it wasn't, you know, it, it didn't stick. But for me, but there were a few moments where I was like, oh, there is, I can like, I can dip in. Mm -hmm. And I'd, I wondered if in your religious upbringing, there had been any of that. Oh, sure. And I think, I mean, again, I, I grew up in the deep South. So I grew up in an AME Zion church and we went to church every Sunday and we went to Sunday school and um, I was on the choir. And I think for me, um, that space of like really being able to connect to divi divine happened through music. My dad's a, um, he's an educator, but he's also a pianist and he plays by ear. He reads music, he writes music. And um, he, when he would play at the church, it, it transformed the space. And that, that's not just me saying that because it's my dad, like everybody said that. Um, and so they were always happy when he was there and available to play. Um, and he played at home for us as well. So like that for me was a very deep connection to like being able to open to the divine. And I still, to this day, when I hear like certain pieces of piano music, it's just, you know, an instant connection because of that. Um, so yes, absolutely. I wouldn't say it was, you know, Christianity led me there. It was definitely, I think something much more, um, kind of almost primal, you know, our connection to music and, and the way it opens us and, and this kind of like very 
neutral way, you know? Um, yeah. 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 Because it's not expect, especially music without any words is not expecting mm-hmm. anything. It, right. It's not telling you what to feel. Although of course, very often we're all having the same experience to a mm-hmm. piece of music. Um, and, you know, when you said that it, it transformed the space and everyone said so, that too, I think, is a thing um, to experience transformation in a community is a really, really beautiful thing. Um, and that's one of my favorite things about the yoga class, right? Like to be moving in concert with this group of usually strangers it's such a beautiful thing. Um, it's one of the things that I've missed the most during our um, time of time out of time, <laughs> time out of time, our time of trying not to inhale other people's exhales, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which is like literally the whole thing. Um, how have you? How how has that changed for you? How is the, the your teaching? How is the sort of virtual space? You know, I'm very lucky that I I live in a small beach town, (laughs) so we're still able to have classes on the beach. You know, it's open space and people can distance. And so it didn't change very much for me um, as far as like being able to practice with other people. Um, Mind you, you know. And I never was someone who liked to teach very large classes anyway. Like I cap my classes at 15 people. I don't want any more than that. Um, so, you know, I, I like to say the smaller, the better sometimes because you can have those really intimate connections. Um, so not, not a lot, but I will say that since the pandemic, I did kind of steer more into teaching meditation because that's something I could do online not because I didn't have access to being able to teach yoga but because I feel like a lot of what I do as a meditation guide and a yoga teacher is part of service and we're in a time of turmoil for a lot of different reasons and so I just wanted to offer space for people who needed a moment of pause and meditation. Um, So I was doing that through Facebook Live and I would just tell people I'm gonna open a space for meditation, you can show up. Um, And that kind of snowballed into me teaching workshops and and now that's something that I do regularly. Um, But it really just started from a place of wanting to provide space for people who I knew were dealing with trauma and maybe didn't have any other space or time or, or people around them that could support just holding a container. And we can find those workshops on your website. So (laughs) the Facebook live was never recorded. Those were just kind of spontaneous things. If you want to come to any of my meditation workshops, um, you can get on my mailing list. Um, and that's just simply, you know, you can go to my website, the Rachel Heath, and you can sign up for the mailing list there, I think. But I run my workshops through a subscription service. So um, it's through Subkit and um, you can sign up for my monthly newsletter. You can see what all the workshops are. You don't have to subscribe to attend, but if you do sign up for that newsletter, you'll be able to receive registration information and things like that. Um, so I'm, I can give you that link if you want to share that with mm-hmm. folks. Please yeah. do, please do. We'll share it ahead of, um, ahead of your workshop as well. And- yeah. And, and at your workshop for sure. 
Um, what are you working on these days creatively? Like what's got you, what's got you excited? You know, I'm knee deep in national poetry month. I'm excited about that. Um, I'm doing my first grind, which I'm really stoked about. Um, and I'm working on a second book and shopping the first one around. So, um, the first book was kind of a pandemic book. It was, a this is all the stuff that happened during this time in my world. Um, maybe you can relate. Um, so I'm actively shopping it around to see if I can get that published. And the second book is, is more of a personal exploration of, of, of grief. Um, I've dealt with some family illness these past uh, few months, and that's kind of opened up some things for me and just wanting to take some time to, to delve into how we grieve um, before um, the big event happens and, and how we have conversations around um, sickness and death and dying. And, and um, so not, <laughs> not a happy butterflies and rainbows book, but I, I feel like it's a necessary book. Um, so, I mean, the grief comes for each of us, right? It is, it is the most necessary um, thing to reckon with, I think. Yeah, yeah. Our, I'm, I cannot wait to, to read both of those. Um, thanks. Thanks for writing them. <laughs> and, um, and thank you for being part of this community. Well, thank you for creating this community. Mm -hmm. I truly, this has been one of the spaces that I found to be very inspirational, very safe. Um, there were some days where I went and I just needed to be in the presence of folks there and I didn't necessarily write, but it was, again, it was a safe space. It was a consistent space. It was a drama-free space. Um, and uh, I, I just, I'm so grateful that it's there and that you've welcomed us in. We're so fortunate to have you. Um, and we're look, so looking forward to your workshop. Thanks for, for talking to me today. Yeah, yeah, this was great. <laughs>